What is up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast, where I'm joined by Jen Cameron. Jen is the CEO and founder of Inverse. Inverse is a sponsor of the show, and they've been very, very kind to Green Candle. So please, please, please join their platform and join my Green Candle Investments group. We get into Jen's very interesting background. This is her second company. So she started the other one around the dot-com boom slash bust. So she brings an interesting perspective when it comes to not only the macro environment, but being an entrepreneur in a very uncertain time. So be sure to tune in. But as always, ladies and gents, this is not financial advice and should never be taken as financial advice. So please, please, please. Do not take it as financial advice, and everything you hear in this podcast is strictly the opinion of Jen and myself, and for entertainment purposes only. Now, let's get into the show. What is up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast, but first, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Inverse. So Inverse is a social and collaborative investment research platform. Many companies like Robinhood have increased the access to financial markets. Well, Inverse is increasing the access to high-quality investment research and discussion. The entire platform is built around top-notch data and tools on over 10,000 stocks and ETFs that are seamlessly embedded in the platform. And in the near future, you'll be able to link your brokerage account, and you can even link some of them right now. They're in a beta testing phase and share your portfolio and performance to maximize some credibility, along with some clean portfolio analytics tools. I myself have been using Inverse for quite some time, and I absolutely love it. I even started a Green Candle Investments group where you can post your ideas, and we can talk back and forth and, and you know share some investing ideas here and there. So some awesome stuff. So go ahead and check out Inverse. That's I-N-V-R-S. And then I'd also like to thank people who are listening on Podcasting 2.0 apps like Fountain, who give me boosts. So I'll read off a couple of them. Um, So last week I had KFEB on and he mentioned a lot of books that he was interested in and helped him uh, kind of develop his own investing background. Somebody mentioned uh, Joel W. mentioned Leverage by Carl Dinginger is a great read on the topic. And then uh, shout out to Lord Daver, who said, love the show today. Great guest and insight from outside the box. And now I have a very special guest, the CEO and founder of Inverse, Jen. Jen, how are you doing today? I'm very good, Brandon. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on the show. Of course, of course. I'm very excited to get into it. And so for people in the audience that don't know any- about you, why don't you get into a little bit of your background and you know how you got here today? I would love to. Thank you. Well, um, I, I graduated from U of T. I have a degree in econo- a double specialist in economics and commerce. Started my career on Bay Street. And then I traveled um, to, to the west coast of Canada, to Hawaii, to Australia and New Zealand. Then I moved to Banff for a while and, and just skied. <laughs> Uh, then I moved to Vancouver, got a job at a startup, which was amazing. <clears throat> and then um, a few folks from that company, we left and we started something new. Was myself and one other person were the 
co-founders, and then we had a lot of founding team from that. Um, that company was called HyperWallet. Its <clears throat> its initial mandate was to put cash on the internet, which I thought I would mention just because I know that there's a lot of folks here and there's a lot of interest in Bitcoin. It was not a Bitcoin type technology, but it did have that mandate to put cash with different principles that are I mean, a lot of the principles that are focused with Bitcoin have to do with scarcity and distributed ledger. Um, we didn't have those pieces, but it was anonymous and it was recyclable. And um, yeah, could be used for any kind of transaction. Um, I left that in 2003, moved back to Ontario, started a family. I'm the mother of twins and got my accounting degree, finished up my CFA, and started work on Inverse. <clears throat> Actually, quite a number of years ago, it's it started in quite a different um, genesis. Uh, its genesis is quite different from where it is right now. The origins of the company was to enable people to be able to build whatever financial models that they wanted just as easily as they do in Excel, easier because all of the data was there and you just had to go, I want this, 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 and I want it to, you know, I want these to multiply and that to be divided by that. And then you could do all of those sorts of things, run it against a ton of stocks and get the output. Um, now uh, our mandate, that was quite a quite very, very Nietzsche, Nietzsche uh, vertical. Uh, I probably had a market of one, which was me. So now um, I met with Buddy, who you've had on the show before, and Stephen and Eli, and our mandate has changed. Um, our vision for Inverse now is to help improve people's financial outcomes uh, by providing a great suite of tools and data and the ability to ask questions and get guidance from people who are subject experts like yourself and the Green Candle uh, forum um, or group. Um, and yeah, and just kind of move themselves along in their investment journey. So yeah, that's that's the vision. That's where you are right now. That's awesome. So yeah, I mean, like I said, I really enjoy the platform. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of improvements that are going to be made in the near future that are going to make it awesome. Uh, but let's take it back a little bit to the first company you started. I didn't quite catch the name, but if you want to read that. And then um, question I have along those lines was that, you know, you started in a startup. Was it uh, kind of that aspect in that environment that kind of made you the put the push to become an entrepreneur and kind of start your own company? Or do you think that there was something maybe like in your upbringing, whether it's, you know, you had a your parents or a close family friend that you saw was an entrepreneur and you wanted to be one yourself when you, you know, started your career? Oh, I absolutely was interested in entrepreneurism growing up. Yeah, 100 percent. Um, my dad had a business. My grandfather had a company. Um you know, my parents wanted me to study uh, like science and math in university. And, um, you know, they wanted me to go to Mac close to home. And like the last day I went off and I changed one of them to business at U of T. Um, when I was in high school, I had a little company making T-shirts for a band with another friend. Um, when I was traveling, you know, I was running short on money. So I was staying at a hostel and there was lots of... Uh, British people there. So I got the ingredients to make scones and I'd make a big batch of scones and I'd put them on the table and, you know, $2 a scone or whatever it was. And 
go away and come back they'd all be gone but there'd be a nice little pile of money so <laughs> i did that a few times to raise a bit of money for my travels um but yeah um working at that first startup in vancouver was like phenomenal um that was uh, a sports betting company um they've changed their names uh last name that i'm aware of was bodog uh, the, the part of the company that i worked for was ebanks which was the like the the money processing piece of that so i got a, a exposure to payments uh and internet technology with respect to payments so yeah yeah, yeah, that's awesome stuff. So, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit uh, already, kind of like the new uh, wave with all the Bitcoin and, and all that kind of stuff. And it seems like you guys were a little bit, you know, before then, just kind of like in the early Internet days uh, involving all that. You know, what were some of the hurdles that you saw when you, uh, you know, initially kind of started that company? And, uh, you know, what were some of the big lessons that you learned, you know, launching your first company and, uh, you know, that, that are kind of helping you along the way in your second one? Sure. Uh, well, one of the big things I learned is, is timing is everything. Uh, Hyperwallet was definitely before its time. Um, the whole notion of cash on the internet, it, it just, people weren't, you know, that interested. It's like, I can pay with my credit card. Um, and the company actually evolved to a payment company and it, it, it was purchased by PayPal. So, um, but still operates. Um, so yeah, timing is important. Um, uh, being a good leader is important. I I was quite young when I did that. Um, and I'd never, you know, really come face to face with like failure or, or big struggles or anything like that. So probably my biggest lesson with hyper or with hyperwallet was was failing. And um you know, getting over that and learning through that. And I mean, the company didn't fail. The company was a success. I, however, as the first CEO, wasn't the person to carry it to that success. So, so that was like, you know, that was, that was, that was a tough one, but you know, you go back, you figure out, you know, what you need, how to be better and, and then you get back into it. So yeah, just, just living can be one of the best teachers so long as you're willing to look at yourself and uh, make the changes that you need to need to. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a very interesting point. And a lot of entrepreneurs that I talk to as well, they, that's the kind of things that they, they bring about, right. Is like, you know, it's not about how many times you fall. It's about, you know, how you get up and, and things like that too. And it's, you know, whether you make like a sports analogy or something else, it's, it's very similar in business where you have to kind of learn from your mistakes in order to, you know, move forward and, uh, you know, make make the next venture better. And Absolutely. so, yeah, so let's talk about the next venture. So Inverse, um, you know, you said you made that transition from, from the initial, I guess, uh, view of the company to be more of an analytics tool uh, to now more of like a social and collaborative kind of platform. So, you know, you mentioned a little bit as to why you changed that earlier, but, you know, what, what are you, what did you see, I guess, maybe in the marketplace or was there something like financial Twitter that you really dove into or something that you saw that, that kind of made you see like, Hey, there's something that, um, that, that could be done that could be made better, uh, <laughs> to, to kind of help this social collaborative stuff, or was it, um, you know, maybe the, 
the Wall Street bets kind of phenomenon. What what was it that kind of helped you see that there there's a really like a big need or a big want for this more like social collaborative kind of investing platform? It, that's really insightful, Brandon. Um, good question. Uh, so when we first met with Eli and Stephen and Buddy, they made a uh, they presented an idea of uh, an investment research platform that was geared toward Canadian retail investors. Um, it was just, you know, individual in nature. Um, we would be marketing it to Canadian investors and that's what it would be. And that was, that was good. You know, loved Stephen and Buddy and Eli. They were so smart, so energetic. Um, so that's kind of what we started working towards. But then like looking out in the marketplace, we realized that people love to collaborate. They love to talk about stocks. They love to trade ideas. Like whatever we do has to be collaborative. And we could see that people would be talking on anywhere, you know, Facebook or Twitter or wherever. And there's no way to quickly verify what people are saying. Like, so if somebody says XYZ stock is great, um, well, wouldn't it be great if you could actually take a look at the data behind it in like a flash? So that's what Inverse provides. Somebody could talk about somebody, something. You can see all the data right there. You can look at the price chart. You can look at the financials. You can compare it to other companies. You can look to see what analysts are saying, what other people on the platform have written about it. So, you know, you can do very thorough due diligence very quickly. Um, and I think that's important because when you are on social media there you know emotions get amped up um for a whole lot of reasons you know people can get excited about something um there can be fear of missing out people can get anxious so all these things can come into play and i think most seasoned investors would say that making decisions in a state state of heightened emotionality is dangerous um like the good investors keep keep their heads very cool so yeah so this is part of what we kind of want to educate people on is like take a look do the due diligence you know be a bit of a skeptic so yeah so i guess hopefully that answered your question Oh, yeah, definitely did. And I think, you know, there's there's uh, like two kind of schools of thought that come to my mind when when you were going through that is like, you know, platforms like Inverse allow you to do a little bit more of like a long forum. Um, so, you know, you can really write out your thoughts, write out your thesis um, on a certain stock, business, sector, what have you. And, you know, a lot of Twitter for, for what it is, I mean, it's, it's, you know, more short form, maybe you could write a thread or do something like that, but very few people are going to do, you know, go through all the threads mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they're not really going to write out their thesis and you can't really verify, you know, their portfolio or anything like that. So I think that aspect of, you know, being able to connect your portfolio and, yes. uh, you know, write out your full thesis on a said stock or business or what have you. Uh, really, you know, puts that validity behind it. And Definitely. I do think that allows you to, to like, not only, you know, see why you invest in a stock, but also see the, the opposite side. And I think too, like allowing this platform for more retail investors allows you to kind of get the, 
um, the viewpoint of the everyday person kind of looking at it, not necessarily the talking heads on, uh, and sorry for my, my dogs getting a little excited back there, That's Okay, but, uh, in, instead of the talking heads that are maybe on like CNBC or, or Yahoo finance or wherever you're, you're kind of reading some of these things. So, um, how are you kind of seeing, I guess, the ideas transfer back and forth from retail investors? Are you seeing that they're, uh, I guess, maybe, a little bit more satisfied or, you know, a little bit more open to discussing or are they more so just kind of like, I guess, transmitting ideas from like, say the talking heads or whatnot? Uh, well, so I don't really see a lot of transfer of, well, of talking head information coming through. Generally what I see are fresh ideas. Um, and I see a lot of openness to discuss things. Um, there's a lot of discussion, you know, we've got, a couple of good uh, people pr uh, producing Bitcoin information yourself and somebody else. And, you know, I'm skeptical. Like I want to find the use case with it. So, you know, I read these things and I ask critical questions and people come back and they give me an answer, which sometimes I think is great. Sometimes I'll have another question behind that, but that's the idea. Like let's battle test these ideas or other ideas. Um, I've made three investments based on what people have recommended um, from the platform as well, um, just because they put together a great thesis. Um, in some cases, I make pretty fast decisions. You know, the, the case is, is well laid out. Um, other times, uh, I've watched the progression of it and then said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to pull the trigger. I like this. So, so yeah, so it's, for me, it's actionable the information I'm getting. Yeah. And I, and I agree. And I think like the, just the access to the people as well too is, is great. Right. Because, you know, whether you get these big audiences or, or people with big audiences or what have you, you know, they're not going to answer every single reply. Mm. And so having that retail investor where you can kind of go face to face, um, you know, kind of talk about, you know, how your portfolio did over a course of a year, because, you know, maybe a certain thesis worked this year or, and it didn't or, you know, what have you, but you can kind of take a real dive into everything that, uh, you know, a retail investor goes through. And I think, uh, you know, the amount of retail investors is kind of what is skyrocketing and that's, what's kind of helping drive all this. Mm -hmm. uh, so have, have you kind of noticed that as well? Like not only, you know, starting this platform, but have you noticed like in your everyday life that more and more people, that you're around are kind of talking about, you know, business and investing and, and all that kind of stuff to help grow their wealth. Uh, definitely. Although, I mean, to be fair, this is, it's, I've been in this industry sort of one way or another for a lot of my life. So people will talk to me about this. Um, but yeah, I mean, the pandemic just blew it up without question, without question. Yeah, for sure. And and on that note, too, I mean, we're seeing a lot of, you know, craziness in the market. Um, you know, I, I haven't been in the market for too long, so I can't say that it related back to too, too many other other times. But, um, you know, I guess, how are you viewing this overall volatility and kind of craziness, whether it's, you know, the money printing and what have you, like, are you changing anything that you've done previously? Um, are you kind of uh, keeping the same strategy? And I guess, uh, you know, go into a little bit of, you know, your your strategy and the way you look at businesses historically as well. Sure. Um, well, I'm, I'm, 
I'm a factor investor. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but or I'll explain it anyways for your audience. Um, I like to look at a large group of companies. So I have certain models that I like that cover um, different elements, um, valuation, growth, quality. Um, and I like to look at a, a bunch of different companies under this lens and then find the best one. So that's generally how how I make decisions. Um, and what they do is is important. Like I like to keep my portfolio diversified. So rather than just throw a random bunch of companies in there, I'll look at, you know, which industry I'm interested in going for. So usually I'll look for an industry that's gotten beat up or I believe will has has very, very good long-term um, um, opportunities like healthcare, anything around that. I think is, is going to be solid for years and years and years. So I would probably take a, a group of companies within a particular sector rather than just a hodgepodge. And, and then that's, that's my first screen. I'll look at that. I'll, I'll find the best ones. Um, I may look at some other factors. I may look to see if there's a dividend, but that for me, the trifecta is the, the valuation, the growth and the quality. And when you, I find when I get the combination of those three, um, I can sleep well at night, which is important to me. <laughs> like I, I don't want to be worrying about the things that I've invested in. So, yeah. Um, as for changes with respect to what's been going on in the market, um, alas, I don't have quite as much time to do my research. Um, I mean, the market has been fascinating, um, like un unprecedented times with all of the the liquidity which I loved I mean I thought it was great I think you know more money in the system has the potential to you know I don't know I, I just think it's good I just think it's lubricating for the economy um, and we had like 10 years of no inflation and a lot of liquidity um, in my view this is my opinion, the inflation that we're experiencing is supply side driven. Um, when there's, when there's a lot of things to buy, <laughs> then prices don't get run up. But if we can't get our hands on, you know, toilet paper or oranges from Mexico or, or whatever, then, then those prices get get bid up. Um, when we can't get, enough gasoline for our car because there's a war in Europe, then the prices go up and that affects everything. Actually, oil is probably the biggest driver of inflation. So um, I wrote a lot of articles in Inverse saying that I did not agree with raising interest rates, that it's it's sometimes the right strategy, oftentimes the right strategy to combat inflation. But um, in this particular scenario, I thought it could cause more harm than good because if the big driver... If you accept this thesis that this is a supply-driven inflation run, part of the answer is, and where it's really coming from is, you know, not enough oil or oil not getting to, um, to, to market, you actually want to bring more supply. Sorry, I think my dog's just coming into my room. Uh, you want to get more supply um, into the market and raising interest rates 
makes that more difficult. You actually want to kind of encourage um, investment in infrastructure that provides energy. But nobody listens, so rates are going up. Yeah, and, and I agree with you there too. It's actually funny you, you bring that up because I talk about that a lot in my uh, you know Twitter spaces that I do on, on Tuesday nights. I get a lot of macro people in there and uh, there's a lot of you know differing opinions. Some of them think like, okay, you know, we should raise interest rates and we should continue doing that. And some, you know, agree with what you you just said is that it's more supply side driven and that, uh, you know, we the raising the interest rates and kind of shocking the system won't really help. And I and I, I agree with that theory as well, because I think, you know, like, like you said, we, we've shut down the globe, the world economy for, you know, months at a time. And so, of course, there's going to be some supply side issues. And now all these companies that you know, relied on this money that was easy to come in are, are all going to fail or have more difficulty, you know, obtaining money and thus, you know, the products and services that they provided uh, are either going to get more expensive or, uh, you know, there's just not going to be as much of them, uh, yeah. as much of that available. Yep. And so um, I guess like, you know, uh, I, I feel like the Fed is kind of in a, in a tough situation because they probably should have raised rates, uh, you know, earlier. Um, but you know, uh, how do you view, I guess, this overall situation? I know we're recording this on Friday the 9th, um, and it will be dropped on the 12th, which is the day before the CPI print is going to come out in the U S and it feels like every time that that print comes out, um, you know, whether it's U S or Europe or, or somewhere else, um, it feels like, you know, the number is extremely, extremely high. So do you feel that, you know, we've kind of, uh, reached almost like the peak and it's this raising interest rates is going to help? Or do you think that, you know, because we're raising interest rates and, you know, there's the Russia-Ukraine conflict and, and some maybe the potential of a Chinese and a Taiwan conflict and some, you know, more geopolitical events, do you think that we're still kind of like a long way and we have a long road ahead of us to kind of battle this inflation? Um, well, Sounds like you want me to make a prediction. Um, I think that we have hit peak inflation. I think this CPI print will come in, will show that, that, that it is dropping. I don't think that will deter um, interest rates going up. I think that we are probably in for continuing rate hikes till roughly the end of the year, you know, roughly. Um, but... I think that inflation is probably going to come down as hard as it went up. Um, and, you know, maybe by middle of next year, it could be back to a, an, acceptable, an, acceptable, an acceptable level. I don't think that our interest rates are going to come, come back down to those rock bottom levels, which is okay. They'll probably, you know, normalize to what people historically we're used to um which you know i mean that's that's fine um like i said i think liquidity is is a great thing um so but nobody's listening to me except maybe for your audience yeah well there we go i mean i i, I think like a lot of retail investors kind of share that opinion though because you know as much as people don't want to talk about it they that, you know, that it just makes sense. There's, of course, there was a, you know, the printing of 60% of the money supply 
and you know that makes the case for for like hard money and bitcoin and other things like that but um you know i think at the end of the day too there's still issues getting supplies there's you know long wait times on everything um we're still seeing you know used car prices skyrocket mm-hmm. um you know they're they're coming down and leveling a little bit but there's still you know a lot of things that people need and you know want to 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 buy that are still kind of rising in prices and i think um, you know, I, I can just think of like food prices and other things like that as well, still kind of raising up. Granted, they're coming down a little bit, um, but not quite to the rates as uh, as it was like a year or two years ago at this point. Um, so, so what's what's your prediction? Brandon? <laughs> well, I, I personally, I think that we're going to go down slightly, um, but I don't think we've seen the bottom yet. Uh, I think that where there's still going to be you know, another maybe a potential, you know, geopolitical kind of event. Um, I, I, the China Taiwan kind of uh, conflict worries me because we've already had like a chip shortage, and I think uh, Taiwan Semiconductors is, you know, is obviously headquartered in in Taiwan, and there's a big, you know, issue there. Uh, Apple's their biggest client, um, so you know that could lead to other potential slowdowns of, you know what what have you um i think that you know the energy crisis that's going on in europe is still going to persist uh you know a lot of uh, countries are kind of figuring out uh that they need to be less reliant on um you know uh, outside countries and i think um it's going to kind of create i guess more nationalism instead of more uh you know, people believing in like the global economy, like I think countries are going to kind of revert back to being more self-sustaining. Uh, but that takes time uh, to, to, to do that, to build facilities, to build warehouses, to do all that kind of stuff. So I think, um, you know, whether we hit the bottom and we kind of go sideways for quite a long time, I think um, I don't think that we're going to come out of this like kind of quickly. And then we're going to see the growth that we saw from, like what was it like 2012 to you know just before the the pandemic so that's the way i i kind of look at it i hope i'm wrong i hope it's you know we we go down and then we come back up and and come flying up but i'm kind of seeing more of i guess like a sideways uh outlook maybe with some some more crashes but not um you know maybe to the extent that we saw of like the covid crash for example where Uh you know things shot down drastically Uh um but yeah, I, I think like it's a, it's a very interesting time. And like I it mentioned, is. you know, I'm not really, uh, I haven't really been in the markets for too long. Um, so, you know, you've seen uh, quite a bit of, uh, I guess, uh, crazy world uh, events, I guess, you know, you saw the doc- I've seen some cycles. <laughs> yeah, you've seen some cycles for sure. So uh, you know, how do you, how are you viewing this one compared to to the other ones, um, whether it was like the dot com boom or yeah. 2008, um, you know, how are you kind of viewing this one compared to those? The dot com boom, uh, boom and bust one was rough um, because we started our company in early 2000. So just as everything was was going to hell. So, yeah, so that made everything tough getting that company off the ground. Um, like VCs just. They didn't want to talk to you. They didn't want to know you. Um, uh, The 2007-08 one, yeah, that was that was dramatic, but it wasn't too painful in this country. 
Um, and then the pandemic crash. I mean, that was just a blip, really. It's just a market blip. Um, and well, obviously, it massively changed the world. But from a business perspective, um, it seemed pretty short term. Uh, a lot of, you know, just kind of like a hard hit of the wall. And then if you had just some resilience and some ingenuity, then you could kind of get around the wall and pick up your businesses again. Um, I was working as an accountant a lot back then, and that's that's what I observed with my clients. Um, I did actually want to touch back on the Taiwan thing that you mentioned. I thought I think that's a very interesting story. Did you want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure, let's get into it. What what questions do you have, or what what points do you have on that? Well, I'll share my observation, and then you can let me know you know your thoughts on it. But uh, it seems to me like the West is taking a much more aggressive position against China. You know, doing things that are that formerly they wouldn't have considered, right? visit to Taiwan. Um, I think there's been some military, you know, stuff going on in the Strait of Taiwan. Um, you know, these not selling um, chips anymore to China and Russia. My thoughts were they're doing it right now because China's, China's having a hard time. Uh, you know, their economy has not been growing the way it has been in a growing economy is probably more important to China than it is to just about every other country on the planet because they, in my view, have a regime that people are willing to ignore so long as as times are good. And if times aren't so good, then that is um, then that doesn't bode well for the regime. So I think China's got a ton on its plate. And the West is taking advantage of it. Um, so that's my thoughts on it. So what do you think? Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting point. Um, to me, I kind of view it almost as uh, the opposite, I would say. Oh, as huh, I would okay. say that I think that, that there's been like the U.S. has been kind of like the global reserve currency with the dollar. They've had a lot of power for quite some time. But there's been a lot of chinks in the armor, so to speak, lately. Um, so what comes to mind is like the way the U.S. left Afghanistan. Um, you know, they, they left really abruptly. And then, um, you know, they, they kind of just took it back like within the week. Um, yeah. And so I think that the fear of the United States Army might not be as drastic as it was before. Um the United States has kind of helped and been at the forefront of putting some policies and sh sanctions on Russia uh, that have kind of caused, you know, a lot of Europe to go through a lot of these like, you know, energy crises and, and things like that. Um, and a lot of the policies that have been made, uh, you know, have drastically hurt a lot of these co uh, countries and, you know, the United States included um, when it comes to energy and oil and other things like that. Um, so I feel that Russia and China are kind of not ganging together, but almost, um, and they're kind of taking advantage of, you know, maybe some chinks in, in the U.S. armor here and a lot of countries kind of getting, um, 
you know, I guess annoyed maybe. I, I don't know if annoyed is the right word here, but, um, you know, with, with as much as uh, the U.S. dollar has kind of been inflated um, and the amount of control that the United States, whether it's the Federal Reserve or the government or what have you, kind of has control over the entire globe. I think, uh, you know, some countries are starting to get, uh, you know, I guess maybe a little a little annoyed at that. Um and I think, you know, the dollar has been ripping and the dollar has been doing well, but we're seeing like, you know, the, the, the petrodollar is always going to be kind of king, whatever is used to exchange goods and international trade. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're seeing countries kind of move away from doing international trade in the dollar. And I think that's kind of like a reflection of, you know, the, uh, the American, I guess, maybe empire, so to speak, kind of not crumbling and falling apart or anything like that, but kind of, uh, you know, other countries kind of rising up and, you know, trying to compete with the United States. And so I think, you know, I believe in the United States and like the people here and the, like the entrepreneurs and, and, you know, building companies and businesses and things like that as well. But I think, you know, current policies that are being made are, are kind of making it more difficult to start, start businesses, whether it's, you know, increasing corporate taxes, you know, uh, a ton of inflation, increasing minimum wage, like those kind of things. And so I think like the United States economy is not doing as well as maybe some people uh, think. And I think, uh, you know, uh, China and uh, Russia are kind of taking advantage of that. Um, mm-hmm. and I think like that's kind of the China play. Um, mm-hmm. So like when Russia... Mm-hmm. Russia didn't invade the Ukraine and they, they kind of invaded it in 2012 to 2016. Um, they were, you know, kind of, or they invaded Poland, I believe at that time. And then, you know, from 2016 to 2020, when things were going really well, they didn't invade anywhere. And then now, um, you know, they're, they're going back into the Ukraine. And, you know, I think that I've heard anecdotally from people that have, that work with companies in Taiwan. And they said that there's always this kind of tension between China and Taiwan And they never really, you know, I guess, talk about it or worry about it. But, you know, now they're starting to kind of worry about it um, just because of what's going on with the Russia and Ukraine. So I don't know. I think like it's kind of uh, almost like jumping on and and taking advantage of uh, some some chinks in the armor, so to speak, with uh, with the United States. But, um, you know, I I think it's always kind of like a pull for power. Right. Mm -hmm. So. So I don't know. I mean, I think uh, maybe it's just because I'm in the I'm in the U.S. and I kind of like think that things could be doing better here, uh, that that that's the reason why my viewpoints that way. But um, that's the way I kind of see it. I don't know if you got it. Maybe a rebuttal to that. Um, Well, I'm going to paraphrase Warren Buffett, uh, who said, don't bet against the U.S. So that's kind of my motto. the U.S. is, because of its entrepreneurial base and its broad range of freedoms, like it's tough to beat from a business perspective. Um, there's other companies or countries that can do well at business too, um, but given the size of the United States, um, it's tough to beat. Um, as for its military might, I was in Hawaii in January. Um, we were in Oahu. We had a high-rise um, uh, apartment, like a hotel room, which is in a high-rise. 
and beautiful view of uh, Waikiki Beach and, and the ocean and just enjoying the view. And then all of a sudden, like way out in the horizon, there was this massive, massive structure. It was so far out there, it was kind of hazy. But we eventually figured out what it was. And it was like a submarine. And obviously, it was an American submarine. So I have never seen anything like that in my life. So, you know, um, that's, that's, that's what I see as, as a Canadian. Um, I see a lot of strength. Um, like, I love the States. I think it's such a beautiful country. I think the people are fantastic. Um, I will be honest, like, we didn't understand, like, I can't speak for everybody, but like, we didn't understand why there was so much anger um, back in 2016. Like, we thought, what, what, why is everyone so angry? It's such a nice place, and it's beautiful, and it's rich. But, yeah, I didn't understand. So there's there's people with legitimate grievances, um, and and that's that's what it is. And these problems, you know, have to get looked at. And I hope that they they do get solved. So I don't want to dabble too much in my neighbor's politics. I'm <laughs> just sharing my my observations from up here. Yeah, no, and and I hear you. I just think yeah, a lot of it has been kind of uh, almost. Uh, I it's it's almost like the U.S. has been kind of at the top. Um, you know, with the global reserve currency and all that kind of stuff for, for such a long time um, that a lot of people that, that are now in like working age don't really know or see or ex- have experienced, you know, maybe maybe some harder times. And so, you know, I think at that at that point, um, you know, the U.S. has been, I guess, increasingly divisive since what it, maybe it was like 2012 or to 20. 16 or, or 2016 that the, those election cycles but i think like over that time uh it's just kind of uh i guess made made a split whether you believe it's the media or what or the po- political system the two-party system what i think it's just uh maybe it's the access to information too where it's just like we know everything that's going on and every conversation now in front of a camera you can go back and watch clips and you get these sound bites and people get kind of up and up in arms about every little thing. It seems like these days. So I don't know. I mean, it's probably yeah. a combination. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think like, you know, there's, there's good and bads to it. And I think, uh, you know, the U S like, like you said, it is, you know, a very prosperous company, uh, country. And I think like a lot of, you know, the way that it allows entrepreneurs to kind of go through and, um, you know, create companies and create great businesses, uh, shouldn't be bet against. So I'm hoping that I'm wrong on that. So, uh, but on that note of starting companies, uh, you mentioned that you started one during, uh, you know, the dot com boom, and then the dot com bust. Yeah, or the dot com bust. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then now you started one. It seems like right around the COVID crash time as well. So how how has that experience been? Um, you know, just kind of being an entrepreneur, and when it seems like the world. Uh, kind of, uh, I guess the global economy is kind of facing some craziness. Mm. Well, I I actually realize now that it's always crazy. There's always crazy. It's just a different flavor. Um, And you just keep your eyes on the prize and you just keep moving forward. So that's my big takeaway. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's great. Right. So, I mean, like, I guess, uh, what differences do you see or have you seen any 
uh, from the dot-com bust to right now, whether it come from, you know, I know you said like at that time, the dot-com bust, like VCs didn't want to talk to you. They, they didn't want to know you or anything like that. Do you see any similarities to, um, you know, from there to right now? And uh, I do. Yeah. It's, um, it's the crypto winter. It's like so similar, uh, you know, Back in 2000, they didn't want to know about internet-based companies. And now there's a big crypto winter. Although, that being said, I am reading that there's still a lot of investment going into it. But there was the big crash and there was a lot of scandal and, you know, companies going uh, tits up. So, um, it's that's, that's, that's to me, that's the parallel that I see is the crypto winter versus the internet um, implosion of 2000. Yeah. And so we're seeing a lot of volatility, I think in the market, maybe more so now than, you know, anything that I've really read up on and whether that's because of crypto or maybe the, the exchange of information, short squeezing, all that kind of stuff. Um, are you kind of seeing that as well? Like you're seeing a lot of, whether it's volatility in the markets, um, but also like more volatility in businesses, um, cause you know, I mean, what comes to mind when you say like crypto winters, like we've had companies that have gone from multi-billion dollar valuations to get bought out for, you know, a couple hundred million and mm -hmm. like losing their valuations by like 90%. Mm -hmm. So are you seeing kind of that volatility, whether it comes from, you know, not just the stock market, but like businesses and business cycles as well? Um, so has historically, have I seen that kind of volatility before? Yeah. Historically, have you seen that? And, uh, you know, right now, are you seeing that? Um, yeah, yeah. Historically, I have. I've, you know, I've, I've lived through crashes where they, they flip the switch and stop trading. That hasn't happened um, in this uh, cycle yet. Um, so you're talking about volatility in the real world, so the business cycle side of things. Yeah. Um, sort of what is a big marker of a top of a... Of, of, a, of a cycle uh, and then that you're heading back down is um, a lot of uh, malfeasance and, and scams and, and, and fraud come to light at that time. So, you know, uh, we had Enron um, back in the, so I'm, I'm probably going to fudge this up, but I think it was with the dot-com one. Um, uh, prior to Enron up here in Canada, there was the Briex thing. You probably haven't heard of that one, but um, that was a massive, massive one. Even, even not even in Canada's in Canada scale, like in global scale. And there was like murder involved. Like it was a, it was a mining company, a gold mining company. They were operating in Borneo or Indonesia, and they kept on coming out with these results that were proving it was a great. Um, a great strike, a great mine, and the price would just went astronomical and everybody was jumping on board. And then it turned out to be a huge fraud and someone was thrown out of a helicopter. And there's still, you know, there's still lots of um, um, conspiracy around it that, you know, the guy who was thrown out of the helicopter is actually still alive, stuff like that. I've not really gone into it, but um, yeah. So I guess my point is, um, it's part of the cycle to see volatility at the top, like crazy volatility, and to see um, frauds get uncovered, to see, you know, what formerly, you know, was a, a well, 
a well-reputed firm to go down the toilet, um, Arthur Anderson, back with and with uh, Enron. Um, it that's just what happens. That's how it goes. Um, but you know, the good side of this is that it 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 sort of uh, loosens up the soil for future growth, right? I mean, these cycles. This is what they do: crash and then regrouping and then growth again. Yeah, and I think what this cycle is kind of doing is uh, almost weeding out a lot of these, uh, I guess, zombie companies. Um, So I think what the easy access to capital does, although it allows a lot of businesses to grow, um, a lot of them have kind of taken the Amazon model where you don't really need to make a lot of money or make any money. You can lose money for multiple years and then finally, you know, boom, you take off. Um, but a lot of these companies are kind of still not making money and then, uh, you know, finding it very difficult, uh, in order to kind of, I guess, flip that switch. Um, so are you kind of observing the same thing when it comes to this cycle? Do you think like a lot of these growth companies are going to kind of struggle, I guess, maybe in the, in the near term? Absolutely. And the ones that are nimble are going to figure out how to make revenue and they're, they'll get profitable and it's, it's a good thing, right? you know, that's what business is all about is it's delivering something of value and reaping the, reaping the rewards of it. So, so yeah. Um, I mean, the model of, of for software companies of not having revenue for a period of time while you build out the product, I mean, that's hard to get around. So I'm hoping that people won't get too hard on that because Software companies, technology companies, that is their life cycle. Sorry, just need a drink. And um, it does work with them that they do need a period where their revenue is not so strong. But I mean, um, we are going to be working with a company, technology company, and they've, they've barely built out the technology, but they are, you know, finding a way through it um, and earning revenue by doing a lot of the pieces that will be automated manually. So, I mean, kudos to them. It's incredible. Yeah. I do think that there's a lot of great stuff and yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that there's, you know, a lot of company or that that's kind of like a model that I don't really see any way around at least initially, but uh, hopefully those companies that are kind of building out, will find a way to, to make money um, and, and find a way out of this kind of hole that maybe they're, they're digging themselves right now. But um, you know, you've been very generous with your time. And I ask this question to every guest uh, as we wrap it up. But what is some advice that you have for a new investor or somebody to maybe give them that push to kind of help uh, get started and in, uh, investing their their money? Obviously, not financial advice or anything like that. But, you know, maybe a friend or a family member comes to you. What, what do you tell them to kind of help them, uh, you know, start building that nest egg? Um, I would I would get them to assess what their knowledge level is to sort of do a um, personal reflection uh, and see and, and try to figure out where their knowledge gaps are um, <clears throat> to understand uh, a little bit about what, what kind of time frame and perspective that you have. So if you're a young person, um, it's really a very, very, very good time actually to get into the market. It's It's been falling. And even if it continues to fall a little bit more, who cares? If you're young, you've got years and years and years ahead of you. 
you don't think that you can, you know, find the bottom, right? It's not even the very best have, it's almost impossible to call the bottom, call the top. So the market's been falling. News is terrible. That's actually a great time to get into the market. You just have to have a, you know, bit of courage, you know, just accept that things may continue to fall for a little bit. You know, don't panic sell and then just wait for the next business cycle. So that would be my advice. That's sort of, you know, short term and, and um, applicable to this moment in time that we're in. Um, but generally, globally, um, get educated, learn what you can, um, be humble. Uh, you know, don't, don't think that you're a genius uh, when when everything's green and you're in a bull market. And don't think that you're an idiot when everything's red and it's a bear market. Like you're somewhere in the middle. So that's that's my advice. Yeah, I got you. I think that's great advice too, because you know, I think you like you said, everybody's a genius in a in a bull market and and kind of thinks that way, but then the market will find a way to humble you for sure. So yeah. Uh, Jen, you've been very generous with your time and I really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and what you got going on? Sure. Uh, and thank you so much, Brandon. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, I enjoy your work very much. Um, you can find me on Inverse, www.invrs.com. Um, I would be more, I would love to talk to you on our platform. I'm also on LinkedIn. I've no, you know, other than, Jennifer Cameron, CPA, CGA. That's the best. That's the best I can direct you to. And I'm also on Twitter, but not super duper active. So, yeah. So that's me. So thank you, everyone. Awesome, awesome stuff. So yeah, go ahead and check out Inverse. It's a great platform. You'll find me and Jen on there, and join the Green Candle group. We can uh, post some ideas back and forth. So great stuff. Thanks again, Jen. Bye bye.